Today is the Christmas Day 2022 Meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, Christmas is About Christ. Good morning. That was an excellent time of singing. Indeed, times of worship should be that which is exalting God, but also that which humbles our soul. Indeed, that's what it was. God's Word tells you exactly what you need to know and apply to your life. And what we're looking at today is one of the most important subjects of your life. We talked about this a little bit last week. We need to talk about it again today. It's a subject of humility and submission. And humility is the inward heart attitude. And submission is the corresponding outward action. And a person needs to be humble in his heart before he can then be submissive in his actions. First Peter 1 talks a lot about humility. Talks about how we are to submit to kings and those in authority. It talks about how workers are to submit to their employers, or it says servants to their masters. Talks about how wives are to submit to their husbands. In First Peter five, where we're at now, it talks about how young men are to submit to those who are older, specifically to their elders. So let's turn there, First Peter chapter five, and verse five. First Peter five, first part. We're just going to go through this step by step here. These verses. Says you, younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. Now, elders are to serve the church, and of course, for them to really serve the church, they need to be ones who are humble. And here we read that young men, that is, those who aren't as mature, those who are spiritually younger, they are to submit to their elders. These young men need to be humble. It's for the good of the church, it's for the unity of the church, and it's for their own spiritual growth. So, so God puts elders in their lives, or submitting to them is one way that they can grow in humility. Young men can be competitive, they can be jealous, they can be selfish, and they need then to learn humility. And one of the best ways they can learn humility is by being humble before other believers, particularly older men. There are many Bible examples of this. We read about Joshua. He was, of course, humble before Moses. There's Elisha, humble before Elijah. There was uh, Jonathan, humble before David. New Testament, we have Timothy, humble before uh, submitting to Paul. And, of course, the disciples themselves submit themselves to Jesus, of course, except Judas. 1 Peter 5, the next phrase, it says, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. What a command. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And so what, he, what he's saying here is, is that you're to be humble as a Christian before every other person. Every other person that you know, every other person in your life. That's something, isn't it? I mean, this means being humble before both those who are saved and those who are lost, those who are your friends, those who are family members, those here in this church, those at the workplace, those that you meet when you're out and about in the street, as well as your neighbors. This word humble means lowly. It doesn't mean that you're a nobody. It doesn't mean that you're insignificant. It doesn't mean that you're not important. It doesn't mean that at all. What, what God wants you to understand is, is that, yes, you were made by him. You are important to him, and you're to see yourself as that way. Indeed, as, as people, we are ones who are made in the image of God. But the word lowly 
in terms of humility with other people has to do with how you view yourself in your relationship with them, whether it's God or with others. That's what we're talking about, how you see yourself in your relationship with others. You're to see others as ones who are made by God, others who are important to God, and others then as ones you are to serve. This is so important to see this. I was thinking maybe I should put a little sheet of paper on my wall or put a little three-by-five card on my Bible that says, I am a servant of the Lord. And that's a good thing. It's not a proud thing to say you're a servant of God. It means you're being humble before the Lord and you're willing to be humble before other people. Moses, um, Deuteronomy 34, 5, his life had ended. It says the servant of the Lord was dead. He died. Okay, so what, how, how did God call Moses? The servant of the Lord. So to call yourself the servant of the Lord, to see yourself that way, is the most important way to see yourself. So I want you to think about that. In fact, maybe this might be the biggest takeaway from this message. I am a servant of the Lord, which then means being serving other people as, as well. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Probably the best few verses that also talk about this and how we then are to be humble and serve others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So it says there, you're to consider others as being more important than yourself. Being humble, then, means that you're seeing and treating others as important people. Indeed, they are, because they're made in God's image, and you're to be one who then who is serving them. And so you're to be humble. You're to be humble in your heart, humble in your mind. That is, it starts in your heart. It's a spiritual thing, but then it's translated to your mind, your thinking, in terms of your relationships with people, thinking about others. So when you're with people, when you see others, when you're at home praying for them, you, you see them as being important people. And you see yourself then as being your, their servant. Indeed, humility is that which must start in the heart. So this then means you need to be lowly in, your, lowly in spirit in your relationship with others. That's what we're talking about. And you are then to see yourself as a servant. Being a humble servant then is a spiritual and supernatural experience. It just doesn't happen. It's a spiritual and supernatural experience experience. It means Christ is living his life in you and through you by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God. That's what it is. This is a spiritual thing. You could sum it up this way, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Philippians 2.5-8, let's continue there. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ was the most humble man on the face of this earth. Three things that are stated here. First of all, he humbled himself by become, coming down to this earth. It says he emptied himself. That's humbling. Emptied himself of, hey, I'm going to be God and, you know, just act like he, he was God. But he's also an emptied himself and became a man. That's the first thing. The second thing is, it says he became a bondservant. That's also, that's also translated as a slave. He became a bondservant of people. In Luke 22, he was talking to his disciples. He says, I'm, I am a I am." Uh, a servant among you. 
he saw himself as a servant with his disciples. That's how he viewed himself. That was his view. This verse here, I love this verse, Hebrews 5, 7 in the NIV, says that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he cried out with loud petitions and prayers to the one who could save him from death, and he was saved, he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus humbled himself before men, he humbled himself before his Father. And so he was, we, he was, was humble and that he became a man. He was humble that he just became a man, became a, a servant of men. He was a bondservant, a slave of God, a slave of men. But more than that, he sacrificed his life. He died on the cross. That verse, we'll read that again. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. What was his death? He took our sins upon himself. The most cruel hideous, inhumane way to die. But it wasn't just that he was dying in that hideous way, but that God was, was pouring out his wrath on his son because our sins were placed on him. That was humility. That was humility. And Jesus humbled himself. No doubt then he did this because he loved his father. He is humble before his father, and he loved us. That's what happened. He is the number one example of humility in the whole Bible. And you say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. We should pray that. That's what we should, we should pray. How can you be humble before us? Let me give you just eight little examples here. See others as ones who are made by God. See others as ones who are important. See others as ones that you are to serve. So much in relation how you look at people when you see them, whether it's here or some other place, how you view people and then view yourself. Ask God, this is, ask God to give you an attitude of, of humility towards one another. Ask God to do that. Thirdly, pray that God uses you in the lives of others and enables them, enables you to serve them in ways that they need to be served. Next, find out the needs of needs and interests of other people. And when you're with people, ask them the questions. Ask them, how are you doing? What are you going through in life at this time? And when you ask people questions, it's, it's always intriguing. I always like to do it because you see what's in their life. And sometimes you've got to probe a little bit in a kind and gentle way. But you want to do that. You want to know how they're doing so then you can help them or pray for them or serve them in a particular way. Focus on the people God places in your life, especially family members, friends, or people in this church. I say that because we said before, and it is true, you're to be humble before every person in your life. But there's, you can't actively serve everybody with all your time. You've only got so much time. You've only got so much energy. So pray and ask God to lead you how then you can be serving the people that God places specifically around you. Next one, use your spiritual gift to help others. All of you as believers have spiritual gifts, and God wants you then to be humble and serve others with your gift. Next, be humble by praying for people, by serving them, and by loving them. You get up in the morning, and that phrase, I am a servant of the Lord today. Think that way. How can I serve the Lord today? How can I serve others today? How can I do that? Now, I know many of you have jobs in your, your workplace, but, but wherever, this applies to all of us in our lives. We are to be ones who are servants. Finally, learn from the lives of, of people in the, in the Bible. This is the classic. You start just reading about some character, and if they're a godly person, then they are ones who are humble. It may not say they're humble in that, that verse or that passage, but they are humble. Now, of, of Moses, it did say, Numbers 12, 3, it says this. It says, Moses was very humble, more than any man on the face of the earth. 
And of course, you think about it, you know the story. He led, what, about 2 million people through the desert for 40 years. Talk about a humbling experience to do that in the way that God wanted them to do. Not that he was perfect, but he did a really good job. He had to be one who was humble. God then said he is the most humble man on the face of the earth at that time. So we learned from him. We learned from, from people like uh, Abigail. 1 Samuel 25, she was a servant. She served David. She was humble. We learn from Anna, Luke chapter 2, she was one who prayed. We learn from Paul. You look at Paul's life, he was very humble. Many examples of that. You look at Epaphroditus, Philippians chapter 2, and you see his humility, his love for God, his love for the saints. So that's just a, just a simple thing to do. You read in the Bible, particularly about characters, and you ask yourself this question, how were they humble? And, and it, it'll display itself in all kinds of ways. But there, again, there's no doubt that a person who is godly, who's mature, who's serving the Lord, then is one who is humble. We continue on. First Peter chapter 5. Just going phrase by phrase here. It's much in these verses that we need to learn. 5 says, God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud. We could talk about that for a whole message. God is opposed to the proud. He resists those who are proud, both Christians and non-Christians. And this is a strong statement. It should motivate you. It should motivate you because if you're not humble, then God's going to oppose you and that he will humble you. That is the truth. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, a person's a non-Christian, God opposes the proud. That's very simple. Why does God oppose us? Because he's God. (laughs) He is God. We're but men. We're but women. We're his creation. Who do we think we are to, uh, uh, you know, think we're more important than him? He's God. He made us. We should worship him. We should exalt him. And we should then obey him. And it's for his glory and it's for our good. I don't want to be humble. Well, if you're not, it's not going to be a good life. It's not going to be a good life. It'll be a good life. It'll be a blessed life as you humble yourself before the living God. That's what will happen. Isaiah 42, 8. I like this verse. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my praise to another. My praise to graven images. I will not. I will not. God won't. He won't. He is God. He is God. And as Christians, you know, we, we, we need to see that he is a jealous God. And he doesn't like it when any person at all exalts himself. I'll never forget this story, ever, ever, ever. There's a person I knew in this neighborhood, just a few streets up north here. And I remember I talked to him, I shared the gospel with him, but he, I don't think he's ever, ever got saved. I remember one time I was there, and he told me, I, he says, I raised my hand to God. God, you come down and strike me if you're there. I said, whoa, whoa. I warned him. Six months later, 2 a.m., walking across Hillsborough Avenue, coming from a bad part of town. He got struck by a car. He immediately died. He says, man, I knew it was in his heart. I knew his pride. Boy, that, I, I just shocked by that. But God does that. He opposes the proud. He was a proud man, a proud man. God does that. And he should do that. He should oppose people who are proud. When we're, as, as Christians, when we're proud, then we're in sin. There's a non-Christian who's proud. They're in sin, and, 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 and pride is that center sin, that central sin that results in all kinds of other sins. You see this in Romans chapter 1. It's, it's, you look back to the, the example of, of the Israelites. There's this verse, Hosea 5, 5. The pride of Israel testifies against him. Israel and Ephraim stumble in their sin. So you see the connection between pride and then their sin? 
pride and their sin. And you look at you look at the prophets. I mean, you got Isaiah and you got Jeremiah and you got Ezekiel and all the other prophets, and they're talking about the sins primarily of Israel and Judah, but also of other nations and cities as well. And what do you see? Time and time and time and time again, God opposes them. That is what happens. God opposes them. But sometimes we look at our world around us and we see there's evil. We see there's evil people. You say, God, why do you, why do you let them live? Why don't you stop them? Why don't you do something? He does. But it's not our timing. It says in, it says in, in Psalm 37.10, very instructive verse, Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. It's a little while. We're people, especially in this culture, everything's got to be yesterday or today or at least by tomorrow. We want it now. We don't understand God's timing. He says, yet a little while, a little while, that wicked person will be no more. That's the truth. That whole chapter, he says, fret out, you're all upset about this and that and what's going on here and there and these people doing this and that and why they're getting away with this, they're getting away with murder, this isn't good. But yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. I, I mentioned this last week, but uh, I was talking to a friend, and he said, you didn't share that verse. He says, okay, I'll, I'll share that verse this time. Daniel 4, his story was that Daniel had a dream about Nebuchadnezzar and how God was going to humble him. But he, he had, the dream was shared, and then you come to verse 28. So, so, so Nebuchadnezzar knew the dream. He knew what was supposed to happen to him. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, a little while, twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected, said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? It says, While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, saying, Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Then it goes on. It talks about how he was relegated to the woods and the weeds for seven years and grew hair and claws and ate like an animal. Humble. But then it's a classic story because, because he humbled himself. That is, when God humbles anybody, whether it's you or anybody else, he can humble you in some kind of way, but you need then to humble yourself. It's not just good enough to be humbled. He wants to humble you, so you humble yourself. This situation, we see that Daniel humbled himself. And that last verse, I, I've got to memorize you Memorize it. God is able to humble those who are proud in heart. That is, God is able, not just able, he does. This happens all the time. But we, we as people, can't see the hearts of others. But we know it's true. We have many examples in the Bible, and I can't help but think that in your own life, there have been times when God has humbled you. We mentioned this last week. I won't want to go through that again, but Second Chronicles 33, the classic story of how Manasseh, the most wicked king, ruled for 55 years, had his sons pass through the fire, did evil, atrocious things, and God humbled him. It says they put a hook in his nose, and Babylon, the king of Babylon, they brought him back, and Manasseh humbled himself. It was really good and gave glory to God. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. It says it there. He humbled himself, and he was humbled, and then he humbled himself. This, this example where, in fact, turn there. Acts chapter 12, this example of where a man did not humble himself. Acts 12, 
about Herod. Acts 12.21, talking about King Herod, he was ruling over Israel at that time. On the appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat in the rostrum and began delivering an address to them, to the people. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Graphic illustration. God opposes the proud. Rulers too, but it's in his time. Yet, a little while, the wicked will be no more. But what about Christians? Look what happened to Ananias in the fire, Acts chapter 5. God put them to death because of their sin. I believe they were believers. They seemed like a simple sin, but there was pride in their hearts. They lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And God then will actively oppose those Christians who are proud and sinful. He will actively oppose them. That's what the verse says. It does not discriminate between Christians and non-Christians. God will oppose everybody who is actively proud. It's also true that God will not necessarily oppose. I want to parse these words right. Not necessarily oppose but will humble even those who are godly, even those who are mature, even those who are good Christians, right? The classic example is what? Job. Job won. <laughs> what happened? God humbled him. That's what it was. That's one way to look at it. He took away his ten children, his livelihood, animals, farms. Then he took away his health. God humbles even the godly. This story, I might have mentioned this in the past, but I like this one. William Carey is a missionary from England to India, and he was doing the work of the Lord. And one of the, the primary things he was doing was, was wanting to get the gospel message out, but also then translate God's word from English into the Indian language, okay? So he had, he had his buildings there, you know, and he had his printing presses. He has his manuscripts, you know, his translations and all the work he was doing. And you know what happened? There's a fire. It burned it up. And, I, and I, it, it was hard for him. You think, why, God? He was doing the work of God. Why? And I'm sure he asked himself that question. Sometimes with Christians we ask why, and we don't know the answer. We do know that it's a humbling thing. We do know that. that. That is true. That does happen. God humbles us, right? Even the most godly people. I mentioned Moses before. David, Psalm 31 that Jeff read, okay? It's obvious when you read that, that, that he was a humble person. In fact, the last, I think the last line he read, he says, talk about David being a servant, one who was looking to the love of the Lord. And so he saw himself as a servant, one who was humble. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 to 10. I mentioned before the life of Paul. 7 through 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. It doesn't say that. Paul was proud here. And of course, we know that he wasn't perfect. We know there was pride in his life. But here it makes it very clear that God gave him this trial to keep him humble. That's what he did, to keep him humble. And you look at Paul. You go back. I'm not going to read it. Now I've read it before. 
2 Corinthians 11 has this litany, this long list of ways that God humbled Paul. Man, the things that he went through is just, wow. It's, it's unbelievable all that he went through. But he was humbled. And God humbles us in all kinds of ways. Have you ever been humbled with sickness? Have you ever been humbled with difficult relationships? Have you ever been humbled with financial problems? With family problems? Have you been humbled with work situations? You've been humbled in all these ways. I can't help but everything of you, have, every one of you been humbled by these things and many other things. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to read this. One way that God has been keeping me humble is with health situations. You know, I've got back problems. I feel my back soreness every day. I get feet problems. feel it every day. In fact, it's been going on for 10 years now, since 2011. Don't tell many people that. Since 2011, my feet have had issues in my back and soreness in my legs. And now I've got a hernia. It's going to take, they're going to deal with that, I guess, in about 10 days, the 4th of June. Here's what Hezekiah, this is the passage. This is my go-to passage when I think of God humbling me. I'm going to read this. This, this is Hezekiah. He was ill. ill. Hezekiah, right in Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? I will not again, I will, I will, I, I said, I will not again see, no longer will I not again see the Lord himself. No longer will I look at my fellow man or be with those who now dwell on this world. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I've rolled up my life. He has cut me off from the loom. Day and night you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a mourning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I'm, I'm being threatened. Lord, come to my aid. Here's the verse. What can I say? God has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. God said, hey, this is my doing, Steve. You just sit there. You just be quiet. Then he says, I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. Finding life in the trials of life because God is humbling you to help you stay close to him to receive extra grace from him. So good. Boy, this is, you have to learn this. I don't know if you've all learned this like you need to, but I'll say one thing. God will keep doing things for the rest of your life to keep you humble. He will do that. And you need passages like this or other passages that help you. God himself has done this. He spoke to me, and he himself has done this. This is from the NIV, by the way, if you want to read it yourself. That's Isaiah 38, verses 9 through 16. First. Peter 5, back there again we go walking our way, working our way through these important truths. First Peter chapter 5, God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Great verse, <laughs> great phrase. We see that God's opposed to the proud but he gives grace to to the humble. Grace is so important. It's the strength. It's the power. It's the blessing of God that you need to live your life, and you need it every day of your life, and you should want it. I mentioned this phrase last week. Paul continually said this, grace and peace, grace and peace. Why? Because it's what he needed, and he knows it's what we need. Every day you need God's grace. I'm your servant, Lord, but I need your grace today. I need your grace 
Humble yourself in the morning. In general, say, God, I need your grace. And he will give it to you. It's free. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. He wants to give you all the grace that you need. Citizen, second Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound so that you have all the grace you need in every situation, every time. All the grace you need gives you. Ephesians 3, 7 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So as you serve the Lord, as you're humble before him, he will give you all the grace that you need. And I can say that's happened for me. I know a lot of you in here. I know all of you in here. But I know some of you very, maybe better than others, and I know the things you've gone through and how God has given you grace. So it's just a wonderful thing. I'm not at all saying none of you don't have any grace. You, you've all displayed and been really, many of you, great displays of the grace of God, continuing on through the months and years, even in spite of difficulty and hardship and trial and sickness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God will give you the grace that you need. So we need grace every day, and the main way to receive God's grace is to admit to God that you need his help, his strength, his will, and admit it. Says, God, I need it. Just being humble. God, I need it. It's a simple thing. That's all, that's all we're saying here. Say, God, I need your grace. And then that admission of your need for his grace, then it'll be that which results in your receiving the grace that you need. So many psalms, I'm not going to read them here, but so many psalms you see this example of David being humble and God giving him grace. But, but here's a story. I'm just going to mention it. Uh, well, let's, we got time. Let's go to it. Second Chronicles 19. Two kings. Righteous king, evil king. Two kings. What happens? One's proud, one's humble. Second Chronicles 18, I'm sorry, 31. There's a battle going on, okay? There's a king of Israel, King Ahab, the proud king, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, the more or less humble king. So when the captains, verse 30, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it's the king of Israel, and they turned aside to fight against him. They, they were confused, but it's another story. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. I don't think it was a long prayer, but he humbled himself, which is a good lesson. Sometimes it's just a very quick prayer. It takes about one second. You pray, and God helps you. Then we go on. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. A certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. I love that. It's great. It's, it's the sovereignty of God. A certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint between the armor. So Ahab said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I'm severely wounded. The battle raged that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until the sun, evening, and at sunset he died. He was humbled. God opposes the proud. So we continue. Back to First Peter Chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you at the proper time. We're going to focus on this. I mentioned this last time. There's about eight, nine points here. I mentioned how do you humble yourself. This is so important. We understand that anything happens in your life that's good is because God's working in you. But we know the verses where God says you got to do things too. Philippians 2, 12, 13 being the classic verse. Humble, work out your salvation. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God himself who is at work in you. So this is the working, this is the working out part. This is what you do. You are to humble yourself. Okay, I'm going to give you nine things. How can I be humble? Nine things here that you can do because God wants us to be humble. It's good for our lives. First of all, you humble yourself when you worship God, when you exalt and honor him. When you, when you worship God, you're saying, God, you are greater you are the exalted one. I mean, the songs we sang today, they were really encouraging in terms of being this, this exalting, worshiping God, exalting him and honoring. And when that happens, you're humbling yourself. And it's a good thing. It's the right thing. So when you worship the Lord, but this worship, again, is not a mental thing. It's not a ritual. Not at all. It's, it's from the heart. It's from the heart that we then are to worship him. And we should do it with, with gladness and with excitement. I like how it says it in Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, I will give thanks to God with all my heart. Worshiping God, just in a tepid way, but in a whole, wholehearted way. He goes on, I will be glad and exalt in you. So the worship where there's, there's an energy, an excitement in your heart as you're worshiping the Lord. Second, you humble yourself when you pray. For, for prayer is a humbling thing because you are admitting to God that you are needy. You are asking one who is greater than you to help you, to provide for your needs, one who can do it. That's what's going on. Prayer is a humbling thing. Asking for help, whether it's for yourself or others, is a very humbling thing. Third, you humble yourself when you confess your sins because you're admitting that God's right and you're wrong. Whenever you confess your sins, it's humbling. You're saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong. You're, you're, you're telling God you're sorry, you're repenting, and you're receiving then his forgiveness, his experiential, that experiential forgiveness. Next, you humble yourself when you obey God, for then you're lowering yourself before God, you're doing what he wants you to do instead of doing what you want to do. Remember, think of that verse in Philippians 2 about Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. How do you humble yourself? When you do what God wants you to do. And if Jesus humbled himself this way, how much more so should you humble yourself this way? Next, you humble yourself when you serve others. We've talked about this, the very specific and practical command that you are to think about others and consider others as more important than yourself. So in your life, practically speaking, you should think, how can I serve others? It might be all that you can do in your life because of maybe your physical limitations. Just pray for people. That's serving them. Think of how you can serve others. And I'm not going to look at Paul's examples, but there are so many. You look at the epistles. This one particular one is 2 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29. But many examples of how Paul served others. In fact, when you go to different epistles, I haven't looked at them all, but I know Romans 1 and Philippians 1 says, Paul says, a bond servant of God, a slave of God. That is, that is he saw himself as a bond servant of God and of Christ, and therefore he could be a, a bond servant of others. That is, to be a, a servant of others, you must first see yourself as a servant of God. And that's how Paul saw himself. And you think about it, that's the way he, he started his epistle. Hey, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ, and therefore serving others. You humble yourself when you love others. I'm talking here about Agape love, not phileo love, relational love. Hey, he's fun to be with. I like me and the person. No, we have similar things we talk about and personalities. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about agape love. 
the spiritual and supernatural love that only comes as you are humble. That is, there's this direct connection between being humble and loving others with an agape love. That's what you need to understand. That's where it's at. Examples. True agape love is sacrificial. You're putting others first, thinking about their needs. You're tired. Oh, I don't want to do this. Okay, I will do this, okay? Sacrificial. True agape love is being patient with others who are spiritually younger, who aren't spiritually mature. True agape love is being kind to others who may have been mean to you. True agape love means you're forgiving others who've sinned against you or have hurt you. True agape love means you're compassionate with others who are hurting, who are helpless. In all these situations, we have to understand that being humble is that which is going to lead you then to be one who has this agape love. Truly being humble will lead you then to be one who is truly loving others. Have a hard time loving people in the right way, in a godly way, the agape way? Humble yourself. That's what it is. That's the key. We talk about this all the time, love others. Well, the, the, the root, heart, need is that you need to be humble. We have the, the passage in, in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. It's the, probably the best single passage in the New Testament on, on marriage. But you know, how, how, you know the foundation of that passage? It's 21. It says, it says, it says be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, which is really a verse for all of us. You know, we talked about how clothe yourself with humility towards all men. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, or be submissive to one another. Then it starts off about husbands loving and wives submitting. That is, we, we sometimes say, well, yeah, wives need to submit. Well, if husbands aren't humble, they're not going to be able to love. Okay, that, that's it. So don't say, well, husbands don't have to submit. No, if they're not submissive, if they're not humble in their heart, and you husbands here... I think you know something about that. You've got to be humble to love. That's the way it is. But that foundational key, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Next one, this is important. You humble yourself when you believe and, and, and learn God's word. For you're admitting to God that you don't know everything or that what you don't do know might be in error. There's, there's so many people out there, and I talk to people. Oh, I, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. Well, forget what you think. What does God say? I get tired of hearing that. I don't say that, people, but I mean, really. God is God. He's given us his word, and we think that what we think or somebody else says or something we read in another book is more important. It's wrong. It's wrong. You humble yourself before the Lord when you read his word and you learn what he says and not then thinking about what I think. Well, I think this, again, Forget it. Forget it. I'm not saying God, God didn't give you mind and common sense. I'm not saying that. I'm talking primarily here about spiritual issues, okay? All aspects of life, but especially spiritual issues. You humble yourself when you let God lead you, when you are following his plan, when you're not wanting to do what you think, your own ideas and plans. You know, a, a corollary thought, you know the story of Ruth and Naomi, and, and you know what happened in Ruth 1, right? She really was humble. She says, oh, man, I'll go where you go. I'll follow you, man. She was very humble, and God blessed her humility. We see that she was the, the great, great, either the great-grandmother or the great-great-grandmother of King David, okay? She was a humble person. But the point is, 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 is God has plans for each and every one of you here. And as you're humble, like Jesus says, yet not my will but thine be done, 
Lord, I'll do what you want. And sometimes that can be a little scary. Oh, Lord, I'm not sure if I want to do whatever you say. But, but you've got to say it. Because what he has for your life is best for your life. Next, you humble yourself when you trust God, when you have faith. There's a connection again between humility and love and humility and the faith. It says in Habakkuk 2.14, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right. So the righteous will live by faith. Proud one is one who's trusting himself, trusting his own ideas, the ideas of others, but he's not trusting God. He's not doing that. But one then who is, is trusting God is believing what God says, and particularly and especially what God says in his word. So again, faith relates to humility. If you have a hard time trusting God, you've got to be humble. So that's why we, we're, I, th- I hope you're starting to see humility as such the center, the core, the heart of our entire Christian life. Go to 1 Peter 5, the next phrase. That he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. The word exalt means that God will raise you up, that God will lift you up, that God will bless you when you are one then who is humble before him. If you humble yourself before God, these, all these ways we've talked about, many different examples, if you submit to him, if you submit to his word, then he will exalt you, he will bless you, your life. That's what's going to happen. But it says at the proper time. Now, the, the Greek here for proper time is just two words. And literally, it just means in time. In time, I-N and then time. That's what it really says. The word proper is not there, but in time is fine. That's good. It means in, in time, in God's time, at the right time, at the proper time, at the best time. That's, that's what we're saying here. So you're, you're going through something that's hard, some trial, some sickness, whatever it is, some financial thing, whatever, conflict. God will exalt you, and God will give you grace. When I, when I say that, because like with sickness, for example, and a chronic thing, which some of you guys have chronic things, you know that, says, man, I'm not going to get rid of this till the day I die. Well, God will give you the grace as you go through the time. Okay? But sometimes they're really hard. Sometimes it's really, really hard, you know. And I always talk about pain as 1 to 10, and it's getting hard when it's like a 6 or 7 or 8 or 9. I haven't had that for a while. But, uh, but he humbles us, and he gives us grace to keep going, and it exalts us in different ways, and we need to trust him for that. First Peter 5.10, after... A little while. Remember that little while, Psalm 37.10? The wicked, a little while, be no more. After a little while, God himself will perfect. After you suffered a little while, after you have suffered a little while, God himself will perfect and firm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, we don't know what a little while is. Now, some people think, well, that means the whole rest of your life. On one hand, you could say that. I think we'd also say it relates to different trials and situations that you are going through. So as Christians, then, we need to learn to wait on God's timing. We need to wait. Knowing that he's in charge. He knows what's best. He knows when to do things. He knows when. That verse, some of you know this, probably most of you know this. It's a Psalm 27 verse. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, and wait for the Lord. A simple phrase, very important. Just put that in your mind. Wait for the Lord. He knows what's best. He knows what's right. He's in charge of the timing. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. He can be strong. Your heart can take courage as you wait for him. That's the point. I tell you, you get ahead of the Lord. That's not a good thing. 
You don't want to go faster than God wants you to go. Wait for the Lord. So, inclusion, humility, submission, some of the most important truths for your life. So just ask God to help you be humble. Then you can be one who is submissive and live in the way that God wants. And God then will be one who is glorified, and you'll be humbled, but then you'll be exalted at the proper time. This is what he wants. It's so, so good. I want to read again. We did this last week. We're going to conclude again with Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. For our example, is Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself. More than any other man, he did it for us. He did it for his Father. And he did it for his glory, because he should be glorified. And we should want him to be glorified. Philippians chapter 2. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that, which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words you've given us today. Thank you, Lord, that you're teaching each one of us here. We all, to some degree, know what it means to be humble. Might we be one Zen who, when you humble us, humble ourselves. But we thank you, Lord, that we can walk with you, that, Lord, you help us, that things we go through in life aren't too difficult. We all have our own lives, so oftentimes we compare ourselves with others and think about what they're going through, which is not a wise thing to do. We need to know that, God, you have a special plan for each of our lives in a very personal way. And God, you know how you want to deal with us. As it says again in Daniel 4, God is, a, God is able to humble those who are proud in heart. God knows how to humble us. Whether we're proud people or whether we're really doing what's good and righteous and, and we're mature people, he's going to humble every one of us in different ways. And might we be thankful for that. Because God, you are God. God, you are in charge. God, you are to be exalted. And you do show yourself to be one who is strong. But sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we look at lives and the world and other people and they say, God, what are you doing? Yet in a little while, the wicked will be no more. But after we suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. We thank you for this truth, Lord. Thank you for everyone here today. For those who could not be with us, God, might you help us in our own personal lives, our relationship with you, with people, the work we do whatever kind of work it might be, serving in the church, Lord, just thank you. Thank you for Raphael and Bethel. Just pray for your blessing on them, everyone in their church, Lord. Just help them, give them grace. Thank you for them that we can be together serving you for your purposes and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.